Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Failure comes in all shapes and sizes from failed unit tests in code to failed projects that didn't meet the client's needs. We've all faced failure in one way or another. What defines us as successful developers is not a lack of failure, but what we learn from our failures. In this episode, we're going to look at what failure means and how it affects a person and a team. But our focus will be on learning from our failures and how we can grow as developers and people when we fail. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Dude, I I have kind of picked up a slight new hobby. I have started pickling things like vegetables. I've made kimchi. I made two different kinds of kimchi. Pickle I made- Rick! <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I made some like Thai style kimchi that was actually slightly too hot and it got worse the longer like even after i put it in the fridge i guess it kept going um and it got to the point like i don't i can't eat it now i can't um when it started my wife could eat it i don't think she could now either but yeah i've gotten into doing that and it really uh it makes the flavor pop on the vegetables it makes it where they i can keep them longer and they taste good cold so i don't have to heat them up so if i take my lunch to work that's real handy and, and so I'm just having a lot of fun playing around with that. I got all kinds of stuff sitting out on the counter. By the way, kimchi is not anybody's favorite scent while it is fermenting. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll just leave that there. It wasn't like overpowering, but it was. There was definitely a, a bit in there, like when the fermentation really kicked up, where I was like, "Yeah, you know, I might have to move this like out back." <laughs> it was pretty. Yeah pretty rank so i'm doing that and i'm i'm working like a dog right now so like those are the simple pleasures nice how about you so i just learned in the last few minutes as in while you were talking that uh blue gatorade does not make a good chaser for really good bourbon oh no so so i have i have some nice bourbon here that uh, my brother-in-law gave me for christmas i'm sipping on and i grabbed a gatorade to have something just to you know keep my my mouth wet while I talk and stuff. And yeah, no, I have never done that before, but oh my goodness, it was the most disgusting thing. That was, yeah. Yeah, I I think you could probably mix that with vodka and be okay, but you wouldn't use it as a chaser. Like having something sweet after any kind of bourbon is gross. It was was terrible. What I I needed is some pickle juice. So realistically, um, since we are going to talk about failure, how do you feel about that failure? (laughs) Have you learned anything from it? What? What? How did this impact your team? <laughs> you know what? Speaking of my team, we are in the last phase of testing before the app that I've been working on for the last year or so goes into production. Nice. I'm about in the same boat. Yeah. The, the app passed the security tests, and now we're in some user testing and sort of making sure that the migrated data from the old application is working with the new 
uh, I would say probably about 75 to 90% of the issues that we found the last week or so have been from the migrated data. Um, and some of it was, oh, yeah, we didn't realize that you were going to want to pull 4,000 rows um, for, for that report. That that was not ever a consideration. Um, some of it was also like, oh, the migrated data doesn't have this field that we were using to determine whether or not to display stuff. So it's been a bit of a growing pains and stuff like that. But, you know, we're making it work. In some cooler news, though, my boss pulled me aside yesterday to ask about an idea that he had for improving sort of our developer productivity. And I had the joy of telling him that I had had the same idea. And it had been a side project that I'd been working on uh, for the last year or so. Well, as soon as this app goes into production, my side project at work is going to be my full-time project. Nice. Yeah. That's really a good sweet. feeling when that happens. Yeah, it really is. It's like you get some, some validation and some, hey, I was on the right track there. They probably look at you too and go, this guy could be in management. So since we're talking about failure this week, I've got an article about failing in IoT. This article is titled, Five IoT Project Failures That Could Get You Fired. A lot of companies are getting on the IoT bandwagon. From wearable devices to in-office sensors and smart appliances, the Internet of Things is all over the place. This article addresses five areas where developers commonly fail when building and designing IoT devices and infrastructure. It's a good read and not only addresses the problem, but provides some potential solutions for each one. The failures cover everything from performance and testing to security and even API design flaws. So take a look at it, especially if you are building anything for your company in the IoT realm. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got an iTunes review from Safira80 saying, I'm a new developer transitioning from a previous career in healthcare. I love the guys of Complete Developer because they always talk about useful information in an understandable way. Thank you. We try to think of how we want to listen to any of the topics that we discuss. Like we, we try to put ourselves as, well, we were listeners to podcasts for so long before we started doing this. So we try to think, all right, how would we want to hear it? You'll likely enjoy some of the analogies in this episode coming from a healthcare background. I totally understand that transition. Send us an email with your contact information to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a Complete Developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Google+. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Check us out each week on Facebook and Twitter Live, where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Or you could join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Failure happens to all of us at one time or another. The goal of many patterns and project management strategies is to reduce the size of the failure, which often results in an increase of the frequency of failure. The fail small and fail often mentality is kind of the way this goes. 
However you manage to experience failure in your development or career, the most important thing is how you recover and what you learn from it. Now, coming from a medical background, I kind of have a unique perspective on learning from failure. In medicine, a failure doesn't always result in death. Um, instead, it could result in patient injury. Uh, we've all heard horror stories of surgeons amputating the wrong limb. Um, I won't go into any more gory details than that. But it could also be as simple as a medication mix-up or the wrong lab test being run on a patient. A post-mortem or autopsy exam is performed after the failure is noticed, and these are done by someone that's not involved in the case. It's a fact-finding mission to learn sort of what are the effects and consequences of the failure. A morbidity and mortality conference is a time where doctors and other healthcare professionals get together to review failed cases and share lessons learned. These are held regularly in teaching institutions to review older cases, and a lot of times they're done after the emotional aspect of the failure has kind of cooled down some. Yes, and if you guys are thinking back, we did do an episode similar to this. In it, we focused on how to run a successful sprint retrospective. This episode focuses more on failure in general and how to learn from it, no matter your project management system. It's loosely based on the talk that I gave at CodeMash on failure and development. It started off from the same outline that I used there, but I took out some of the audience participation pieces and added some stories. Uh, if you ever have a chance to attend the talk, it's very interactive and kind of becomes a discussion with the audience. We're going to start off by defining what we mean by failure. Next, we'll discuss some of the common causes of failure in development. Then we'll get to the meat of the episode, looking at the effects that failure has on the developer, on the team, and management. And finally, we'll finish with a discussion on how to learn from failure. So the first question to ask yourself is, what is failure? Before starting a project, you need to define what it means for the project to fail, because that means that you have success criteria. Mm -hmm. So in Agile, especially Scrum, we spend a lot of time talking about the definition of done, so much so that it's become a joke around the Scrum process. We don't talk a lot about what it means to fail. No matter what project management style you use, there's not a lot of discussion on how do we define failure? What does it mean to fail? What are the effects of failure? The Oxford English Dictionary has three definitions for failure. The first one is lack of success. You've not met the requirements for something to succeed. Uh, this does not mean that it isn't functioning properly based on how it was built. So you may have a perfectly functioning piece of software that does exactly what you expect it to do, but you've not met the success criteria. Yeah, this is why you have user acceptance testing. Mm -hmm. specifically for this. Uh, the next thing that the Oxford English Dictionary suggests as a definition for failure is the neglect or omission of expected or required action. So this would be things like not fulfilling all the expected functions, uh, you know, having parts missing, you know, including, you know, batteries not included, <laughs> uh, yeah. or behavior not working as expected. Yeah, this is sort of the behavioral aspect of failure. It's what it's doing is not what it was intended to do or built to do. Right. So like uh, a good example of this would be an, an app that I worked on a while back where I was told to add a heartbeat message. You know, every few mm -hmm. iterations it would it would 
kick that out and put it in the event log. So you could say this service has not died. Well, it did have a heartbeat. However, it was the heartbeat of a hummingbird um, <laughs> and crap flooded the event log. So that was not intended behavior. That was a failure. And it actually turned out to be a real mess to clean up because we had to redeploy because it wasn't in the config how often it was supposed to do that. Oh, but yeah, my. it was bad. The final definition is the action or state of not functioning, which is sort of not working as expected as well. But whereas the second one was about behavior, this is sort of about state management, something like a state of failure. There are three levels of failure you'll see in the development process. Software failure happens when your code doesn't do what it's supposed to do. A lot of times you'll find this in unit testing when you're testing your code and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. This is where you want to find this failure. If, if you fail in unit testing, then you can go back and fix it. However, this can also be found in a testing environment, QA, user acceptance testing, but you really, really do not want to find this in production. Yeah. Now, the next one that comes up is iteration failure. That's not accomplishing commitments within the agreed upon time. So in the scrum world, this would be a failed sprint. So scope creep tends to be a pretty major concern here because you don't deliver on time because you're not delivering what you thought you were delivering when you set out. Yeah, I have, I've seen this happen um, where requirements changed during the development process and they didn't have a really good setup to say, all right, no, we agreed to build this. If we need to change it, we can we can change it after this iteration. And so it just it kept changing and the developers had no idea what they're building. Yeah, I've seen that. And I've also seen the thing where uh, they switch out developers or they fire somebody that the team actually needs. Yeah. And then expect them to get done. So it's um, that's probably the ugliest one. And it's so common that a lot of companies don't expect people to be done on time. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's, there's that, there is, um, that's like a negative thing where they fire someone, but sometimes people get promoted. I had that happen where the, the UI developer I was working with got promoted to a lead position. And then we didn't have a UI developer for a while. He was helping out a little bit, but we had to hire someone. And it can also happen when you hire a junior developer and now your lead person is not able to focus 100% of their time. That's so, true. I mean, there's a lot of reasons this, this occurs. Mm -hmm. The final one is project failure. And this occurs when your software doesn't meet the expectations of the clients. In my experience, this tends to happen when clients don't know what they need or want. Yeah, which is most of them, right? Like yeah. part of your job is kind of guiding them through that. I had to refactor the app that I'm working on because... You know, we found out, oh, they want to export thousands of rows at one time. It was never discussed. They didn't realize that that was a something we had to code for. And so it was never discussed that way. And we had always been exporting, you know, 10, 15 rows. No big deal. Yeah. That did not scale up with the way we built it. Had we known that we were going to be having to export that much, we would have built it completely different. Is that the one that you uh, messaged me to ask about the bulk stuff yes. on? Yeah. yeah. Also, poor requirements tend to lead to clients expecting developers to be mind readers. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because the same clients that expect you to be a mind reader also will comment on how poorly socially adjusted you are. <laughs> I've yep. noticed that 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 tendency. It's like, but you think I'm a mind reader and yet you think I'm poorly socially adjusted. Like if I was a mind reader, wouldn't I 
Never mind. <laughs> You're a client. It's fine. So next, we're going to talk about some of the common causes of failure and identify a few common things to look out for. And this is one of the parts that is similar to the earlier episode on sprint retrospectives. So the most common reason for failure is that the team overcommits as far as what they can do. Poor software development estimations are kind of a fact of life, whether they come from developers or from management, and that tends to lead to overcommitment. Um, you know, like if you if you create a new entry, like in project, and you're defaulting to somebody being available 100% of the time, that literally is never true. Also, tasks may seem easy on the outset, but when you get into them, can be a lot more difficult. I've had this happen a couple of times where I... I started working on something. I looked at it and I said, oh yeah, I can get this done in half a day. And then a day and a half later, I finally finished it because I got in there and found it a lot more difficult than I had originally assumed. Yeah, especially with uh, existing code that wasn't written by you. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good place for that to happen. Um, the next one is that inappropriate task assignment can cause a regular task to drastically increase in difficulty and time to accomplishment. I've seen this plenty of times. Anytime you make me do design, mm -hmm. this is what will happen. You, your project will be behind because I be, don't have that skill. Yeah. This could be members taking on tasks they are not ready for, or it could be team members avoiding unpleasant tasks or boring ones, hoping that someone else will do it. I know when I first started, we had a developer and she, I don't think what she was doing was wrong, but she was trying to learn some of the front end. Uh, she had been uh, like VB.net, MVC developer, and had picked up on the C-sharp.net side really well, but was trying to learn the Angular. And she, would, she didn't know the difficulty level of the various tasks. So she would... Um, well the, well, the first couple of times this happened, she would take on a task and it'd be too difficult for her level of understanding of Angular. And what would have taken um, myself or the uh, UI developer half a day took her three or four days because she had to learn how to do it and things like that. And we were, we're trying to let her, let her have her chance to learn it before she came and asked us, you know, not be like, no, don't do this. But when it came to crunch time, we finally started saying, okay, that's a little bit difficult. Why don't you do this one? And if you want to pair program while one of us works on it. Um, yeah, you kind of have to do that. I mean, that's a task that a senior dev or even a mid-level should be doing is, you know, figuring out like, okay, can this person do this? And is it appropriate? Yeah. And, and figuring out whether you can, you can actually afford that time. Changes to the team structure can drastically detriment a sprint or project. So we, we kind of discussed this a little bit earlier, but removing people takes away resources. Adding new members to a team or replacing them will affect the team's ability to perform. Even if you're adding someone of, or even if you are replacing someone with a person of comparable ability, it's still going to affect the team dynamic. Yeah. And it, you know, it, also affects morale. But um, the other thing is, is, you know, there's there's a switching cost in there and it's not considered. Um, mm -hmm. And you can't necessarily add people to speed stuff up either. Um, you know, the, the running joke is that a lot of project managers think that nine women can have a baby in one month. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. 
like there's a reason that's out there. Like that's it, it was funny the first time I heard it and then I experienced it a few times and I'm like it's it's kind of like Dilbert. It's not really funny anymore. <laughs> well, I I remember we were working on something um and the manager we we said okay, well, it's going to take this much longer because of these things that we didn't expect to happen, or this is more difficult than we thought it would be, or you're asking us to now integrate this thing in there. So it's going to take longer. And so the manager said, Oh, well, what if I, what if I pulled someone from another project and put them on with you? And I was like, that will add at least three weeks to it. It's like, that won't speed it up. I'm like, no, it'll take me. I will not be able to develop for three weeks because I'll be catching them up to what we're doing. You know? And so it, it was, we had that conversation. But sometimes it's unavoidable. Team members get pulled from a team by management while development is taking place. And that's just a fact of life. This happens. What you need to be able to do is adjust to it and reduce the amount of risk. One of the most frustrating causes of failure is when testing or QA delays the process. Uh, This can occur if the tests are not set up properly or if the tester misunderstands requirements, which happens all the time. Uh, It can also happen when QA doesn't create tests until development is completed. Now, to some degree, depending on what kind of tests they are, some of them, yeah. Um, But a lot of the tests they could do, or they could at least have it written out what they've got to do. Yeah. So this is an actual specific situation that happened to me where we spent a lot of time developing. It was kind of a complicated thing. And we send it over to QA and QA took two or three days to test it. Like, you know, the, at the first standup, QA said, oh, yes, I spent all day yesterday writing test cases. And we're like, you have the same acceptance criteria as us. Why didn't you already write these? And the person was not writing them until a view was created because yeah. he, he was writing them to, all right, I enter this and then I enter this and then I enter this in that order. And it was just like 15 or 20 fields that it didn't matter like for the actual functionality testing. It didn't matter how what order you entered them in, but he refused to write his test cases until he had something to look at to put them in the order that he that it was on the screen. Yeah, I mean, it's like the older I get, the more I think that QA and QC people really need to be better developers than the team. Oh, I completely agree. In many cases, yeah, it's it's really strange. I used to not think that. I used to think, okay, they're just they're writing scripts. But now, holy cow, no, you got to be better because the difficulty of testing something and proving that it works is harder than making it work. Now, scope creep occurs when acceptance criteria or requirements change after a story or iteration or task has been committed to. In Scrum, once a story is committed, it cannot change. Yeah, and this means that another story has to be created to address the changes. So it's it's almost like accounting where you know accountants don't use an eraser. They mm-hmm. just have to make an adjusting entry. It's that kind of thought process. Yeah. Also, a story can be dropped from a sprint or tasks can be dropped from a Kanban board or whatever project management you're using. I'm kind of heavy on the scrum because that's what I know and do. This happened to me recently when we had some new business rules, like working for the government, we had legislation come in that changed how the application we were building was going to be used. And it meant what we were doing was pointless. So we had to drop a couple of stories um, that sprint because of that. Allowing scope creep to happen is like running a race where the finish line keeps changing. So, you know, you may be sprinting, as it were, and they move the finish line by 100 yards. Now you can't make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it It's something that you may start off doing a 5K 
and then it becomes a one mile run and then you're a few feet from the finish line and they change it to a 10k yeah you know it's just like it it, it varies so it may get shorter it may get longer Um, yeah and it means that people can't manage their energy and their attention and try to schedule things when they're mm -hmm. at their best for it right and it, it just really really screws up team dynamics the next thing that can happen you know is poorly defined requirements so or acceptance criteria this will cause problems throughout the sprint and lead to the previous problems. Yeah, um, I did some consulting where I worked with a team who were committing to stories with no acceptance criteria. And they were writing the acceptance criteria while they were working on the stories. Yeah, we've had this problem at, at work, too. We're actually reworking our process to force acceptance criteria to be in place before you know before we mm-hmm. do anything so that People can write stuff to the tests instead of misinterpreting what somebody is actually asking for. Yeah. And we're, we're getting better and better at this where I work too, though we're pretty strict. The developers are pretty strict about, we won't commit to a story. Like we just, we'll refuse to do it if there are no acceptance criteria. And thankfully we've had management backing us up on that. We're like, no, you can't tell them to build something if they don't know what to build. That's, you know. Yeah. The thing about this is a disconnect between the developers on a team from unclear criteria can cause development to suffer. One of the biggest things that that we deal with is in our view model objects. So the the model that's passed between the UI and the API. When we're building a new one, we think to sit down together after the sprint planning and map that out. And then we're both working from the same model. But when it's, oh, we're just adding a field, sometimes we forget to do that. And then things get called the wrong thing or... Um, or just you know, slightly different. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it doesn't work because of that. Even if the developers and testers are on the same page, the customer or business team may expect something different if it's not clearly defined. Yeah, so in this fact, should, forcing them is... Yeah extremely valuable because it makes them actually get the definition right in their own head. Mm -hmm. This should be one of the easiest things to avoid, but so many teams suffer because of their criteria because they don't enforce it. So next we're going to talk about some of the effects of failure. We're going to start with effects on the individual. Failure can cause developers to become irritable. Guys, it's frustrating to not accomplish what you set out to do. Yeah, and a lot of times, too, this is a manifestation of deeper feelings. It's not just that this is a failure, but I'm not paid enough for what I'm doing. You know, I don't like having to sit here in this cubicle. The guy in the next cube is, you know, eating stinky chips and making a lot of noise. And he's making kimchi in his uh, cubicle over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. You know, so people complain like, about when they work with Will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, stuff gets all stirred up. I mean, hey, I had a guy in the next cube for me at a previous job that ate uh, pickled eggs. Mm. All the time because he, you know, he's trying to get the protein and he was kind of roid raging and like you could smell pickled eggs all the time. I mean, just, <laughs> oh, I have some coworkers that do CrossFit. Thankfully, we, uh, we work remote most of the time, but they'll come into the office on the days we're there and like have the, the eggs. I'm like, I couldn't, I don't, yeah. I'm not a big fan of eggs as it is, but I was like, I could not do that. Ooh. I mean, I love me some pickled eggs, but I don't want to smell them. <laughs> 
it's uh it's just not my jam but i mean like this will bring this kind of stuff out because it's it's the sort of thing that snowballs it's that that mm-hmm. mid-level stress that you know it used to be a big problem at the post office that's why they had you know all the shootings like in the late 80s and early 90s is because it's a mid-level of stress it's not enough stress where management deals with it and it's not low enough level where you can just kind of blow it off Mm -hmm. and people snap. A lot of times they take it out on other team members or subordinates. So a mid or senior level developer may take out their frustrations on the junior and it may come across as, you know, all right, they got to pay their dues kind of thing. That, that old, um, was it the, the, 80s fraternity mentality of I suffered, so you have to suffer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those people are now in management. Yeah. Um, yeah. Failure leads to feelings of inadequacy and shame. Just in general, we tend to hold ourselves to high standards, even if we don't necessarily meet those. We like to think that we do. Mm-hmm. And self-punishment can be worse than anything that someone else hands down. I mean, I know that I have pretty negative self-talk when I find stuff in my code that is busted. Like I'm, uh, I found some today where I was like, I was tr- trying to calculate the margin on a document and just doing it in this real boneheaded way that was like, this is never, <laughs> how did, how did I, that even get out? Like it was having like a negative margin well, on, 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 printed on paper. Oh, wow. And it's like, you know, and it, it, was something that obviously failed QA. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I'm, I was looking at it going, who did this? And then I look and I'm like, oh, I can see that was totally my code. And it's an awful feeling. And yeah, you know, everybody else, like, uh, it's not really that big a deal. You know, you just got to change this plus to a minus and you're good. But I was like, man, that's so stupid. You know, like, oh, yeah. You, are- you, you're harder on yourself than anyone else would be. And it's, well, it goes back to that, uh, that developer I talked about who was trying to pick up on some UI code, I had to come back into that project uh, a few months after we finished it. And I, I saw this UI code and I'm like, oh, this must have been when she was trying to learn. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I could go in there and fix it. And then I, I go in and I look at the commit history and I wrote it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, I am such an idiot. Like, I was more hard on myself than I was on, like, when I thought that she had written it. But I will yeah. tell you, uh, speaking of self-punishment, one of the worst things that uh, that I ever received in high school, punishment-wise, was I got in trouble. Um, I forget what it was. I think I hacked into the school's computer systems to play uh, Doom or Wolfenstein 3D or something. I was always hacking into them to play video games. Uh, and the I got caught. Um, and so I was told, it was like the day before Thanksgiving break, and I was told... We'll deal with this after Thanksgiving. So the whole Thanksgiving break was ruined. I was terrified of what was going to happen when I got back to school. Yep. Um, and then nothing happened because the teacher knew that I would be like terrified <laughs> the whole time. So she's like, yeah, that was actually your punishment was not punishing you. Yeah. <laughs> that only works once, by the way. Oh, yeah. But it, it worked really well that time. Well, not really well because I did it again the next time I found it. Yeah, I'm not saying you're a fast learner, but it should have worked (laughs) only once. Um, Yeah, but the thing about this is, is self-doubt tends to creep into daily activities because of failure. And you start to second guess even really common or easy decisions. You know, like I got frustrated with Microsoft Project last, uh, yeah, it was last week. I remember. Fighting with that thing. Uh And I literally had been looking at it so long 
I was looking at the word day and it didn't look like it was spelled right. <laughs> I'm I'm not I joking know. you. I was like looking at it going, it is that's not right. It's not. I mean, like I actually went to Google and like copied and pasted and I was like, okay, yeah, that is right. So I'm just <laughs> I've been looking at this too long. Um, and I have, that I've done similar things. Yeah, that will happen to me if I look at something for too long, especially if I'm frustrated. And you second guess decisions that matter. Mm-hmm. In that the case, the thing too. you also do is you start to develop a reluctance to try new and innovative solutions because of that self doubt and fear. Which fear of failure or the ramifications from failure can also become overwhelming. You find yourself focusing on the problem and not on finding solutions. Uh, This is like that punishment that the teacher gave me of saying, all right, well, we'll deal with this when you get back from break because I was much more stressed and in distress from worry about the punishment than I would have been from the punishment. It it can be paralyzing uh, and really affect your growth as a developer if you are fearing the ramifications of failure. Yeah, you'll find yourself focusing just really in the wrong places in general if you if you're in that headspace mm-hmm. and yeah it, it's extremely destructive so speaking of destruction it spreads out as well uh there are a lot of effects of failure on a team the whole team is going to be more stressed because they've been working extra to avoid the failure hopefully they've been putting in extra hours and a lot of times working through life events that they're they're missing only to not succeed. Yeah. To put in all that effort, all that work and not succeed really takes a toll. Um, yeah. It's one thing if you fail because you didn't try, mm-hmm. but it's another thing when you just completely bomb out and you really, really pushed hard. Like that is the most demoralizing thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also not only are they tired from all that extra work, but they're worried about the ramifications of that failure. Yeah. And they're not in a headspace to even think about, you know, their career or anything like that in a intelligent fashion. It may seem easy to place blame on external sources or individual team members. It may even be the case that the team failed because of that external resource or that team member. And it could be that one or more members is not pulling their weight or not doing what they've committed to do. Yeah, like uh, every high school group project you ever had. Okay, and most college I, ones. Yeah, I had one. Um, <laughs> I had one where it was a computer project, and I did most of the work on a team of four. Mm-hmm. Like, substantially most of the work. Um, and one of the team members did absolutely nothing, and the other two were just kind of, they did some. But they still weren't up to an acceptable level. And I talked to the teacher and he goes, well, you know, in the real world, this happens to you, which it does. Um, But he was trying to basically say he had no control over the situation. And I told him, I was like, look, in a real world company, I'm going to go work for your competitor and make sure it puts you out of business. I said it a lot more cruelly than that. Um, I, I said it using some language that is not appropriate for little ears because I was really irate at that point. But I mean, that's what you get people up to is, you know, it's like, look, their life is being ruined and somebody else is joking around. Yeah. Now, both of these, whether it's an external resource or someone internal, can be very frustrating for members of the team, uh, especially the ones that are working hard and taking on extra. Um, And so the UI developer that I worked with who got promoted to lead, he and I do not like failing. And we, we would take on, we would work a lot extra, like to the point that we were both getting burnout. 
and it was not due to any failings on our part. This was a while back. And we got together and we, we talked about it. And we're like, you know what? We're, we're not going to work weekends anymore. So we're not getting paid extra to work them. We're not going to work long hours. You know, we may take on a, a little bit extra just to get things done. But you know what? We're going to let the team fail because yeah. we need to, it needs to come out as a failure to highlight the, you know, the problem because it's not being addressed. We're complaining about it. We're saying, hey, this is an issue. I'm having to put in all these extra hours and with no compensation. And this is an issue, but it's never, it's not being addressed. So we, we had to step back and be like, all right, we're not going to put in those extra hours. We're going to let the team fail. And then those issues were addressed. And it was with an external resource that we were using. And that, that got addressed. We failed once and the issue got addressed and our stress level went down. You remember when this was going on. This was yep. probably about two years ago. So, yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you remember, like, you even commented on how more relaxed I looked afterwards. Yeah, so. yeah it, was re- it was definitely starting to sink into your pores. Yeah. Failure also makes a team want to take on less work in the next sprint because they don't want to fail again. And this may be a good idea to get a win in and get the morale back up. However, you can very easily overreact in this fashion and take on too little work. Yeah, it's one of those things where you have to look at the kind of the overall picture. And if you're three sprints into a 12 sprint project, using scrum terminology, then yeah, taking on a lighter load in the next sprint is perfectly fine uh, because you can make it up throughout the next few sprints. Like you've got time to make that up. But if you're like almost at the end of a project, then you may not be able to take on like a lighter load the next the next go round. You may have to do something else to reduce the stress. You know, I, I've also seen it where you're getting towards the end of a uh, a project and the team has something to look forward to. All of this relates back to management, though, and so now we're going to talk about sort of managing up expectations or how to deal with management in a failure situation. Management has a vital role to play in how a failure affects developers and the team. Yeah. How managers view failure will determine how long it takes for the team to recover and how well they recover. Mm -hmm. Um, How they treat the members of a failing team will also determine how long those members stay at the company. Yeah. If you get cussed out, for being like a day behind on something that was like a year long project and it was something completely unavoidable. Yeah. You know, you're probably going to be out of there real soon. So this is, this isn't in development, but back when I was in school, I worked as a cook and I was, yeah, I was working in the kitchen on the grill and we got busy as happens on trivia night. And so we're, yeah, we're busy and we're working and I've got a full grill and stuff. And the, the the lead in the kitchen comes and he starts like just chewing me out for being slow. And I'm like, it takes like, I'm going as fast as I can. I've got a full grill. I can't add any more. There's no more space. And he starts cussing me out. And this is like my second or third time on the grill. So I, like he starts cussing me out for not properly placing things. And, oh, you could do this instead. Like it's only my second time there. I finally had just had enough of it. And I'm just like, you know what? Nope. I don't. I don't need to be cussed out like this. I don't need to be treated like this. So I just walked off. Yep. 
and just I, leave it on the grill and just be like, yeah, figure I, it out. I walked to the, the manager's office. Um, I told him what was going on. I said, I'm going home. Like, if you guys want to fire me, you can fire me. But uh, I think this is my resignation. Bye. Yep. And, you know, I do not regret that decision at all. Uh, about a week later, I had a job in the field I was studying in psychology. So, you know, it was it was good. But uh, yeah, sometimes you you got to do that. Sometimes the way that management treats people will drive them away. Yeah, know? management. You know, I mean, they may lean towards negative reinforcement, but it does not work over mm-hmm. the long term. Uh, the removal of privileges or extras to motivate people to work harder is not a good way. It tends to be a motivator to do just enough to not fail. Yep. And to try to change things so that it's easy to, right. to succeed, which doesn't necessarily mean that you've really succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've, I worked at a job once where I lost my work from home privileges because, uh, you know, of team failure, essentially. And yeah, that, you know, that was the second to the last straw at that gig. And also, developers don't want to try new things out of fear of failure. You're not going to be innovative. You're not going to build new innovative things if, you know, they go, oh, well, if I try this and fail, I'm going to get punished. Well, I'm not going to try something and fail. On the other side, though, a positive outlook from management can help a team quickly recover from failure. Treating failure as a normal process that leads to better performance in the future will motivate a team to work harder. My manager recently asked, how could we have been more efficient on this project? Like we're, we, we're coming to the end of it and we've pushed back the end twice. Um, like we've, we've had to push it back a couple of times for various reasons. And, uh, he said, all right, how could we have been more efficient? There's no accusation. There's no blame. But instead, we had a discussion. I sat in his office because he called us in one at a time. I sat in his office for probably about 30 or 45 minutes talking to him about ideas I had for the whole structure of the department. And he turned this, hey, you guys, we hadn't actually failed, but he turned this like, all right, you guys have had to push back. You, You failed your first deadline, basically. And instead of it being about blaming, it became about seeking ways to improve and learn from those mistakes, both to grow as a team, but as also an organization. Yeah. Blame is just generally not helpful Mm -hmm. Um, until it gets to the point where somebody really needs to go. It it just doesn't help anything. Yeah. Um, I've never actually seen that ever work. So there are several lessons that we can learn from failure. First off, planning and preparation are key to success and managing failure. How much time did you spend planning the best way to achieve your goal or task before you started? Or just how much thought did you give to anticipating hurdles or problems that might show up while you're doing this stuff? And how would you handle them when they show up instead of being caught flat-footed? If you Mm -hmm. think about that beforehand, it makes a difference. Yeah, the vast majority of us don't spend a lot of time on this kind of planning, uh, despite the likelihood of our running into obstacles and unexpected circumstances. In the future, make sure when you're planning your general strategy to consider potential setbacks and kind of get a loose idea of how to overcome them before you get started. Yeah, I mean, this is a thing like, you know, have you ever had that coworker that's always late? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like they're 30 minutes late to work every day. And they don't have any 
responsibilities. Like they leave the place where they live and they drive straight to work. You know, they're not taking a kid to school. They're not, you know, doing anything else. And they live like, you know, 15 minutes away and they're 30 minutes late. And if you ever talk to one of those people about why they're late, like my favorite excuse is, well, there was traffic because, you know, there's not traffic every day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you'll, you'll see this kind of repeated failure pattern in teams that have become dysfunctional where they, they don't plan ahead because they feel so disempowered. They know it won't help. Mm -hmm. Next set expectations early. You know, I had a boss that uh, if you told her two weeks before something was due that, Hey, you know, we hit a, we hit a setback. Um, Even if it was a week before it was due and you just hit the setback, as soon as you hit it, you sent her a message that, Hey, hit this setback. It may cause us to be late. She was fine. Now, if you were late and then said, oh, hey, by the way, I hit the setback a week ago and that's what caused me to be late, then she'd get upset because she didn't know. It was unexpected. Yeah, and it makes her look bad. Right. This goes back to requirements gathering and setting the expectations that there may be delays in the process. You really want to keep management apprised of setbacks or delays as early as possible. As soon as you get a delay, let them know. I mean, this is why the whole scrum process has your, you know, what I'm doing today, what I did yesterday, and then what is keeping me from moving forward is so that you can address those as soon as possible and make people aware of them. Yeah. Cause it, then you can adjust. Yeah. I mean, she could have reallocated resources yeah. potentially that could have done what needed to be done or just said, Hey, let's just leave that out for right now. Right. People get mad when they're surprised, but not when they know that you'll be a few days late. Um, yeah. Also, Prepare for Murphy's Law. Yeah, you may not be able to plan for every circumstance, but don't expect the happy path. Um, and, you know, as a developer, you shouldn't be doing that anyway, right? Like, you should be looking both ways when you cross a one-way street. <laughs> yeah. You build setbacks into your schedule. Plan for time to fix bugs. Um, you know, where I work, any new app that's going to production, it requires an external security check. They they go through the app and it. we know this is going to take a few weeks, but we also set aside some time for while we try to build everything to pass that, if something comes back, something we missed, we have time built in for fixing that. And yep. if if nothing bad happens, then we're a little bit earlier than we expected. Yeah, and that's why back in the day they used to have like a code freeze, you know, mm-hmm. before they finished a, you know, like in Waterfall, you'd have yeah. a week or two of we're not adding any code, but we're fixing all the bugs that yeah. we found is because of that, because it doesn't surprise people and then they can <laughs> go on with life. The other thing is you need to be logging the motivation and morale issues just like you would bugs as they're happening. So stuff that is kind of beating the team down, you need to be dealing at, you know, dealing with it. So. Like, for instance, on my projects right now, we have a bunch of different connection strings in a bunch of different configs repeated all over the place. So somebody checks in a config where they change something, it breaks it for the rest of the team if they pointed it somewhere else where the rest of the team isn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely frustrating because you'll burn a bunch of time. And so you you look and you go, okay, they're frustrated. What caused that? What caused that? And you keep asking why until you get to something you can fix. And that's a bug, too. Mm-hmm. Even though it doesn't affect the end user, it is going to damage the team and create the bugs that affect the end user. You also want to track events leading up to a loss of motivation, like you would have a stack trace for a defect. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, by identifying the demotivating events, 
you can better predict and account for them in future projects. Not all things can be predicted. You know, like someone loses a family member and has to take a week off to go to the funeral and deal with that. You can't predict that. Here, you want to be able to mitigate the damage to the team and the project while a member is healing. Uh, so it may be you have built into your process, all right, if something happens, we can drop you know these things from what we're doing in this iteration. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that also lets you look at it and go, here's why this person's demotivated. Right. I don't have to expect this next time. Mm-hmm. Or I do have to expect this next time. How do I overcome it? Right. And finally, under this, understand there are variables in your control and ones not in your control. Failure tends to make us feel like we have no control at all. However, there are several variables that we can control. The trick is to identify them and exert that control properly. So when I was putting this together, the thing that really came to mind was the serenity prayer in addiction therapy. It's a really great example. I kind of want to break it down. So the first part is grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. So, you know, there are things that we can't control in development. External resources. We use several external resources. If they have an issue, if they change their API, talking about you, Facebook, we can't control that. (laughs) Yeah. And neither can they, (laughs) apparently. And the next thing is accepting that, right? Like, it's not just that that's the thing, but you've got to accept that there's stuff out there and and be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, The next line is the courage to change the things I can. So this means you have to identify the things that you can change. You have to make a plan to change them and you have to execute on that plan. And the final is wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. So that you're not running at a problem that you cannot fix. Mm -hmm. And Um, the the easy example is an external resource, but there may be other things that aren't as easy to identify. And a lot of this comes with time and just experience. And you you see things. Um, The other day, I had our junior developer ask me a question about something he was trying to, to set up. And I said, oh, you do this. And I don't remember what it was, but I just like, oh, you do this. And he wrote back, he's like, I never would have thought of that. I'm like, yeah, I had to deal with that about a year ago. It took me two days to figure out. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and, and that happens. Lastly, we're going to talk about some strategies that you can use for turning failure into a learning opportunity. The first thing is to treat failure as an opportunity for growth. It's your attitude towards failure. Yeah, Um, it's part of the process. Evolution, for instance, is a system that relies on failure as a feedback mechanism. Right. That's why it works. We all know the story behind Thomas Edison and the light bulb and, you know, how he found a bunch of ways to not do it. Yeah, Uh, but he also learned a bunch of things about the stuff that wouldn't work that helped inform his decisions. It wasn't just like he was, you know, he had a a list and said, okay, I'm going to pick a random material. Right. He learned about the materials for each, like each one got a little bit better. And you want to use failure to look at your process and how you do things. The next, allow yourself to experience failure. I've told the story about how, when I was on the team with the, our UI lead, we we had to let the team fail in order to bring light to management and say, hey, we failed because of this. We've been complaining about it and it finally got to us. We finally couldn't couldn't compensate for it. 
and it caused yeah. the team to fail, and it, and then it got addressed. Yeah, you don't ever want to be an enabler. Right. Sometimes failure is the only way to highlight these problems. And it's okay to fail. The trick is you need to get back up and what you learn from the failure. Which leads us to the next point. Use fear of failing to drive you, not hinder you. Yeah, like if you ever start noticing, you know, that you're thinking about, you know, a failure and it's making you timid, you you got to fix that. If it's if you're like I'm not going to bomb this time, I'm going to do this and I'm going to crush it this time around, then that's good, right? Like you've got to get the mindset correct. Yeah, you want you don't want the fear to be crippling. You want it to be motivating. Um and there's the the saying that courage isn't the lack of fear, it's taking action when you're afraid. Yeah. However, you do have to be careful as you know, you, this can be misused. When that happens, people tend towards doing just enough not to fail. I mean, we kind of talked about this a little. Uh, you you want enough fear to motivate you and drive you, but not so much that it stifles you. Yeah, or where you take a whole lot of shortcuts. I mean, that's yeah. that's the one I've seen in a lot of code that I've cleaned up over the years. You can look and go, I can tell management chewed this developer out about their timeline because everything was good and they started cutting corners mm-hmm. and they got the thing working, but it didn't really work. It just looked like it. Yeah. It, it, it had a bunch of band-aids on it. Yeah. Next review your mistakes and what could have been done differently once the emotional aspect has had time to cool. Cause it, it does take an emotional toll on you, especially if you've been working extra hard not to fail. You want to look back at what happened and yeah. list out ways that it could have been avoided. Yeah, and if it's unavoidable, list out how it could have been mitigated to either not cause failure or to cause less failure. Yeah. I mean, you still get points for being less wrong, just in general. Right. And share what you've learned from the failure with the rest of the team and with other people. I mean, this podcast has essentially been a lot of us telling our failure stories and other people have learned from it. Now, sometimes we just have to experience pain ourselves to understand things. I'm reminded of the first wireframe that I ever built, where Will just said, oh, go out and build this wireframe. And uh, 40 hours later. <laughs> yeah, he had a wireframe. It was real nice, too. It was it was pixel perfect wireframing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And to some degree, that was hazing. It was probably a little bit of light hazing. But the other thing is, is you've got to, you kind of have to touch the eye of the stove to know it's hot mm-hmm. on stuff like that. A lot of times, though, we can learn from the mistakes of others. So there have been plenty of times where I've been doing something and I, I have asked Will about it. And he's like, oh, let me tell you why you don't do that. And he'll tell a story. You guys only hear a portion of the stories he tells. I hear all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing about this is these make great topics for things like developer trainings or lunch and learn sessions, things like that. So... Closing up, how can developers be like doctors in the way that we treat failure? Failure does not always result in the death of a company or a project or even in job loss, though it may be a setback. Treating it as a learning and growth opportunity is how you overcome it. Like the postmortem exam in medicine, have someone not on the team review what happened. Make this a fact-finding mission. Honestly, it's best if this person is not a member of management. Maybe a lead, 
um, or someone with more experience, a senior developer. This isn't about performance, but about learning and improving. Also, set aside time to regularly review older cases. Obviously, they'll allow enough time for the emotional aspect of the failure to, to cool down. But if you can't get buy-in from your whole company or team, these also make great lunch and learn events. However you do it, don't let failure stop you, but instead learn from your mistakes and become a better developer. That's pretty much all we've got. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to reiterate the value of dumping the idea of blame most of the time. I mean, there there's points, right, where it, it matters, you know, like criminal cases, right? Yeah, there's somebody to blame. Somebody's going to jail. Fine. Um, but most of the time in your life, that really doesn't help a lot. It'll just create resentment. It does it in teams. It does it in marriages. It does it um, just in, you know, family relationships. Um, I know I have been around people that everywhere they worked, they had somebody they had a problem with the whole time they were there. And if that person left, the next one that came in was the one that they had a problem with. And the culture of blame tends to do that, right? Because now it's, I lost this, you took this versus, okay, this happened. How do we avoid it? And I just want to reiterate that that is very valuable advice, not just within you know project scope and project failures, that this is a bigger lesson for the rest of your life. And that's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.